Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, a podcast devoted to all things RPGs. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. It is a beautiful fall day here. How are things over there? Well, the sky is no longer orange, so I count that as progress. Good, good. No orange apocalyptic sky is step one to a nice day. And who is our special guest today? Eric Van Allen is here. I was waiting to pop that can for my intro. <laughs> is that beer? Are you drinking no, beer, son? No, it's a Red Bull. We're we're keeping it classy today. <laughs> oh, it's that kind of episode, is it? I'm going to need this Red Bull to get into the depths of Hades. Uh, Eric is here because we are going to be talking about Hades this week, which all of the US Gamer team absolutely loves. It is an amazing game. You could argue whether or not it's an RPG. I think it's kind of immaterial. I think it's close enough to an RPG. And as always, we're going to be talking about all of the RPG news that happened this week, of which there was quite a bit. If you enjoy the podcast, can I suggest that you leave a review over on the show feed? We always enjoy hearing positive comments from our listeners. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at Cmoosey, S-E-A-M-O-O-S. I and I like to stream over at twitch.tv slash TV. We also have a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. Nadia, what was the newsletter about this week? Well, this week it's actually quite a fitting topic because the topic was about Hades. Uh, I focused more on the topic of its unconventional but really effective storytelling and how, you know, RPG or not, I think it's a technique that a lot of really story-heavy games can adapt successfully because we'll probably get into this in more depth, but I think Supergiant Games in general is, is really expert at weaving their narrative into their gameplay. And in Hades, they really excel at that. Um, one thing I really noticed and I really appreciate as a writer is that you are rarely standing there for more than one text box. Like if you talk to uh, whoever, whenever you, you fail, which you always, which you inevitably do, and you go, to, you go talk to Hypnos or you talk to Achilles or you talk to Hades... Uh, your exchanges are very, very short, but very meaningful. And that's a really hard technique to master. And I think it's it's something that, as a writer, I would love to strive towards as well. I think that our unconventional RPG narratives are a lot of fun because when I'm just sitting here clicking through thousands of expositionary text boxes, I tend to get, I tend to tune out and get very bored. Exactly. But when they can layer in those little exchanges that illuminate some interesting part of the lore or the game, but go very quickly, I enjoy that a lot. And I especially like it when that exposition is happening outside of just somebody telling me, you know, holding forth on it, that I'm discovering it for myself, as it were. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it really beats kind of sitting there and reading because I, I like my lengthy JRPG narratives, but uh, I'm. I was really impressed by the way Hades implemented the narrative that it did. Over on US Gamer, I wrote about Valkyrie Profile, which I finished streaming a couple weeks ago. Yay. And I, man, that game is so good, Nadia. It's <laughs> I, I need to play it somehow. Oh, it's yeah. so good. It's very, very good. Oh, have you played it? You played it. Oh yeah. Um, this is this is a weird tangent, like most of my stories are, but. Uh, when I was very young, we had a local family video store and I quickly learned that the dude that ran the counter there had like, if, if I just told him things that I liked, he would be pretty good at 
guessing things that I would like that I wouldn't normally pick out for myself. And Valkyrie Profile was one of those. Uh, and I think I devoured that game in the course of about like two or three weekends that I rented it out multiple times in a row. And it, it fantastic. It's so good. When I was writing in my retrospective, I talked a lot about how it does a really good job of presenting this really interesting world that is always in motion beneath you and telling all of these little interesting little stories within that particular world. It gives it kind of a an epic sweep that you don't see in a lot of other like much more focused RPGs that are focusing particularly on a, a party. And so I find that really unconventional format to be really enjoyable. I think Valkyrie Profile does such a great job of world building. Mm -hmm. Can I just say that the whole idea of you going to rent a PlayStation game when you are quote unquote very young, Eric, I find that very offensive as someone who played <laughs> PlayStation when How they were like 18. You? Look, I, I, I wasn't going to like reference the other games that he put me on to like Capcom versus SNK2, Mark the Millennium and all that. But uh suffice to say the local video store was very formative for me as a young child also that dude was the one who i told him i like gundam on tanami like i like gundam wing on tanami and he told me to watch evangelion which i'm just gonna float out there <laughs> was not a good recommendation for a young child still no. very formative but not maybe <laughs> did not always hit 100 percent of the time <laughs> you, that's when you became a man son yeah, no, it's, young Eric learned what depression was very fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right, let's get on to the RPG news. First item of business, Gaia, Defiance of Destiny, announced for the Nintendo Switch. It's basically Disgaea 6. It's the first to mm -hmm. use 3D visuals. It stars a zombie who keeps coming back to life, a zombie named Zed. What a what a creative name! <laughs> I like. He gets that. stronger every time he reincarnates, and it looks like this is going to be more accessible than past Disgaea games. Do we have any Disgaea fans in the house? Mm. I have always. It's definitely on my. Oh no! I need to play that list. That's the one, the series with the prinnies, right? The dude, the yes. living ones. Yeah, yeah. I always like them. They're cute. It's. I, I've tried multiple times because, you know, as somebody who likes Advance Wars and Fire Emblem and all of that, it seems like Disgaea should be right up my alley. Um, but I've always bounced off of it, both because it's a very grind-heavy game, and I've mm. also always just never really... The tone and the aesthetic has never really done much for me. So uh, I'm, I am interested by the stuff they say they're putting in there that is like um some auto battle things and some time rewind things and some resurrection stuff that seems very influenced by what fire emblem has been doing the past couple entries uh just to make those games a little bit more approachable and then let you kind of turn the dials and knobs on the difficulty as you wish but i still don't know if i'm going to get into this one just because that world has never really been my jam disgaea to me has always been that game that you would go into a GameStop. And you would be browsing through the PS2 shelves and you'd be like, what is this game? Yeah. <laughs> right? What <laughs> the hell is this? <laughs> and you always mean to check it out, but you forget. Disgaea, in a lot of ways, exemplifies the PlayStation 2 library. And if you want to hear more about it, maybe go listen to our PlayStation console, PlayStation 2 console RPG quest. As for Disgaea 6, um, I think the Switch is a perfect fit for the series. We'll see about the 3D. The 3D looked pretty nice in the trailer. 
I'm glad that they're making it more accessible and I wish all the success for it. Near Replicant Remaster is out April 23rd. I have to say that of all the games to get a remaster and continue to be relevant 10 years after the fact, I really never thought that Near would be that game, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, that's a bit of a surprise. I think it's a re- it's a reflection of how big Near Automata was. Like that that game made a splash in a way that the original never really did. And I, you know, it's for a variety of reasons, I think. But I think now that people are a little bit more into the idea of what these games are doing, that it's a good time to bring this back and be like, hey, you know, this Automata was not made in a vacuum. There was you know, this other series, these other games going on that had there's all this a, interesting There's stuff a happening. lot of games like linked to Nier, isn't there? Like, oh, isn't yeah. Drakengard? Drakengard, yeah. Nier, the first Nier, I think the first Nier is a sequel to one of the bad endings of one of the Drakengard <laughs> games, which is just <laughs> Yes, fantastic. that's right. I love Yoko Taro. He's so good. He's so great. He And what he said earlier about VanillaWare, about basically saying everyone needs to buy 13 yes. Sentinels because VanillaWare is a treasure. And he doesn't mm-hmm. care if anyone else goes under. He's like, I don't care if Atlas goes under. I just want I just want VanillaWare to keep on going. And 13 Sentinels is a beautiful game. It's I, so good. I, that's on my next to playlist. It looks so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Eric, you've been playing it, right? Yeah. Um, I According to the percentages that I'm at right now, I'm about halfway through the game. It, it's divided up into various sections of you're kind of bouncing between these very adventure game segments where you're talking to different people and doing some very light puzzle solving and other stuff. Uh, and then going into these RTS battles that I think, as as Katie mentioned in our review, probably the weaker side of that game overall. Um, they they feel very EDF in that you're just kind of destroying a lot of little bugs on a map. And it's it's fun when you shoot a railgun and all the bugs blow up and that's very exciting, but it never really poses a challenge and and also just doesn't feel very engaging. Uh, it's, it's just kind of neat to watch all the bright colors blow up. But the, the narrative itself, if we're talking about unconventional narratives in games, is so good. If you are ever interested in the idea of like narrative construction in games and the way that a, a studio can kind of roll out the story to you as the player, this is a game you need to play because Vanillaware is just completely flexing storytelling in a way that I didn't expect. I love Odin Sphere. I think Odin Sphere is a fantastic game. Oh, Odin Sphere game. is fantastic. I would but, kill to get that game on the Switch. But I wasn't coming out of that game being like, oh, they're master storytellers or whatever. But this one, no, like... No, it was perfect. It it's was a, anime it's a good, bullshit. It's, it it's was a good story. Great. I'm not saying it's a bad story. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not a wholly original story. Oh, it was so cute. Um, but I, I've been DMing Katie throughout the week just being like, oh my God, I played last night and this happened and this happened and oh my God, this happened. So I think if you're somebody who likes, again, the way that stories are constructed or even if you're into stuff like Disco Elysium and games like that, the mm. way that those games tell their stories, uh, you would really get a lot of 13 Sentinels. You, you would be down with that. So Well, I'm sold. I, I highly and also it's vanillaware, so the food looks delicious. Oh, I, they kill me with that food. It's so good. They have crepes all the time in that game, and uh, I'm just sitting here like, oh, I need to make a crepe. I need to <laughs> learn how to make crepes. Here's a question I have for you, Eric. Is it a lot of exposition and dialogue boxes? Because she was saying that 
Katie was saying that it was basically kind of like a visual novel with an RTS element tacked on. It is, I wouldn't say dialogue boxes, and this is something that I found kind of interesting because uh, it was pointed out in a recent Twitter thread that the localization team did. But it's told in that vanillaware style where it's like lines of text that kind of roll through rather than clicking through text boxes. So I find that even though, yes, this is very much like a visual novel, you are going to be doing a lot of reading slash watching and all that. Um, it feels more kinetic just because of the way it's delivered. And it, it feels more alive because of that rather than like your typical, you know, Hotful boyfriends, Doki Doki Literature Club sort of visual novel. Um, and I, I I would preface it with that, but also the way they deliver those stories changes up from protagonist to protagonist because there are 13, I think, different protagonists in the game, you know, 13 Sentinels and all that. Um, and you kind of bounce between their stories. And as you learn things in one story, that will unlock say like a keyword or a fact that you need in another story to progress that one and it that all of that just makes it feel fresh and alive and exciting even though you are just doing a lot of walking around and talking and reading it still feels like you're exploring it feels more like an adventure game than it does like a visual novel it should be squarely in my wheelhouse because it's a what alternate history 1980s with mechs so Hell yeah i'm in it's 1940s, 1980s, 2020s, 2060s, 2100s. There's time travel. There's mechs. There's Weird. kaiju. There's pop culture references from various eras. It's it's very great. It's seems like a game that would be great on Switch. Oh, <laughs> I just like absolutely mad it's not on Switch. Absolutely. All right. Uh, continuing onward with more news. So much news this week. Holy, oh my gosh. <laughs> We talked about the Bethesda acquisition in an emergency podcast the other day. Obsidian addressed the Fallout New Vegas 2 question again, which was a shrug emoji, <laughs> which <laughs> seems about right. Perfect. My my husband was actually asking what the deal is with that. Why is that like such a, a controversy? So I kind of have to go into it with them and explain, well, here's what happened. And I'm going through it like a flow chart, basically. Mm-hmm. I don't really see this ever happening. I mean, it's kind of a weird situation to have Obsidian and Bethesda under the same roof because as far as I could tell, there was a fair amount of rivalry between mm-hmm. Obsidian and Bethesda. Oh, yeah. Like Bethesda seemed to always kind of take it personally that Fallout New Vegas was the game that got all of the praise at the expense <laughs> of Bethesda's Fallout games. And Obsidian didn't seem to kind of take a dim view of games like Fallout 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll right. just say that much. Mm, well, maybe they can like maybe they'll be across from each other and they can like throw stuff at each other and subtly who did that? Who threw that? Oh, they can say really snippy things on the corporate calls between all of the Xbox game studios. <laughs> no, they can leave passive aggressive notes to each other in the kitchen. <laughs> hey Bethesda, when the coffee pot is empty, make another batch. It's okay. Hey Bethesda, I saw your uh, patch notes the other day. Pretty long. <laughs> took must taken a while for you to write those up huh i think a big reason behind the desire for you know could obsidian return to fallout is not just because you know we would love to see a successor to fallout new vegas the best 3d fallout but uh also 
if you look at what Bethesda is currently working on, you know, Starfield is the next thing, and then Elder Scrolls is past that, and who knows when that ever comes out. It doesn't seem like a Fallout is likely in the near term that isn't Fallout 76. And I think a lot of people who want a new Fallout game are kind of coming to terms with that gradually. Uh, so, you know, the hope there maybe is that Obsidian goes on and, you know, takes up the mantle while, you know, Bethesda is trying to make an Elder Scrolls game in the year 2047 or something. I think Obsidian just wants to make its own stuff. Yeah. And what people mean by Fallout New Vegas 2 is what they really want is Fallout but good. Because <laughs> they are of the opinion that there is a broad opinion that Fallout 4 was bad. And that followed mm-hmm. 76, which much was much worse. Mm-hmm. And they've lost faith in Bethesda to actually be able to make good fallouts. And so what they're really hoping for is for Obsidian to step in and save the day. That's why Outer Worlds got so much of the hype it ultimately did. It was a fine RPG, but what people were really wanting, they want the fallout New Vegas, damn it. <laughs> they want a good game. They want a good fallout. Yeah, they want that that experience and that memory and that nostalgia and, and everything good bundled together. And they want the size because I don't think like uh, Outer Worlds was as big or as expansive as a Fallout game. The Dragon's Dogma anime is out. And I know that you two have been watching it. It it's seems so kind of bad. Woof. It's so bad. <laughs> I, I'm watching it. And I'm joke watching it because it's so hilariously stupid. Uh, the animation is, I don't know what the deal is or who decided to go with the route that they did with the animation because you have this combination of hand-drawn-like animation. It's, not, it's computer-rendered, but it looks traditional. And then you have these awful CGI models on top of that for the monsters. And it's the weirdest thing because it's exactly like the 90s when... I don't know if you ever saw the animated Mortal Kombat mm-hmm. uh, movie, but it's exactly like that. Or if you saw the Dragonlance movie, which I am still angry about because I love Dragonlance. And they made this really horrible-looking animated movie with the really cheap CGI stuff. And the visuals are only part of the problem. The story is just really boring and generic, and the main character is just really stupid and, and pointless. No, that's that's a word for it, I guess. Stupid and pointless. It's um I, I was trying to describe it the other day in terms that wasn't just like berserk but worse, which is the thing <laughs> that I say that gets everybody bad at me, because then I have to tell everyone I think that Berserk is bad. And there are a lot of people that like that anime for some reason. Can't tell you why. I've never watched it. I just know it's extremely Don't. violent. <laughs> um, but it is extremely like... I. The thing that sticks out to me is that like the way it's constructed... I played not all of Dragon's Dogma, but I played like a decent amount of it a while back just to kind of get a sense of why people like it so much. And, and I liked it a lot. And... None of that is reflected in the show. Like none of what makes Dragon's Dogma Dragon's Dogma is in that show. Instead, it's just kind of like, oh, well, yeah, this, the story setup is kind of there and there's the pawn thing. But other than that, like here's seven episodes that are all about the different deadly sins, which was oh. never a theme in Dragon's Dogma. And when I when I saw the episodes were named after deadly sins, I said, oh, this is a, this is where we're going. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Right. And, and then here's a bunch of different that lets us do our episodic grimdark plot lines about how terrible humanity is. And here's one about 
lust where we take this character who was kind of cool in dragon's dogma like was a, a traveling merchant who uses her sexuality to her advantage to get one over on people and instead it's like this fawning damsel in distress who just kind of hits on the main character and then dies and that's that's the episode that episode sucks that's when i stopped watching that anime so, i should have stopped at episode three that was by far the worst yeah yeah it was bad um it's 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 not what you want it go play dragon's dogma just play that game it's a good game give us i want it to succeed though so we can get dragon's dogma too that's the thing like it's so weird they made even made this decision uh, if anything i i think this anime has actively set back any desire for more dragon's <laughs> dogma i like there's no, just probably, kill it now yeah there's probably it's, someone it's sitting retroactively there soured Ooh. me on the original game yep um and and that original game is very good it's a cool game i would like to see more of it but um not anything close to this or in the vicinity of this it's it's a bummer Mm -hmm. considering that like castlevania another netflix anime adaptation of a video game is so good like i love castlevania and this is the opposite of castlevania okay a couple of final items first one suikoden suiko gaiden turns 20 not a you wrote an emotional article about that over on the site yes i did suiko gaiden is a um kind of a side story to suikoden it we never got it officially here in the west it's more of a visual novel style game uh the main thing i always liked about it though is it has a really killer opening anime uh, the kind you really don't see anymore uh it's also an interesting little bit of suikoden lore because it tells the story from the perspective of a character named nash so you see certain events and you get to from Suikoden 2 and you get to witness them like, uh, for example, what happened when Luca Blight met Joey and like how that all went down and, you know, how he made his pact with Julia. So that is there is actually a translation in English, a fan patch. I have not played it myself, but there are, of course, a million walkthroughs on uh, YouTube if you just want to look that up. Uh, I also just kind of I was laughing for three days because Nash's last name is Ladka which is a fried potato pancake you eat at Hanukkah. And I could not understand the reason for that because you do not usually see Jewish surnames in JRPGs. And this is a topic I've tackled before with the Valkyrie profile and the Darksons. But Suikoden always had perfectly normal Jewish surnames like Silverberg, Oppenheimer, and then they add in Latka. And <laughs> I just can't deal with that. <laughs> I'm dying inside. All right. And the final item is that Baldur's Gate 3 enters early access one more week to wait, October 6th, which I'm perfectly fine with because I'm totally hooked on Hades. Star Wars Squadrons is coming out next Mm -hmm. week. I'm busy. I got too many games now. It's definitely becoming the busy time for games because, yes, I've got Hades. I've got 13 Sentinels I want to play. I just got my code for Ease Origin. Ah, Too much, too much, too much. I, I troubles, troubles, at, troubles. I looked at the calendar last night actually because I was like, oh, you know, wonder what's coming out. And I looked at specifically the dates for November 10th and 12th. And then like the following weeks are just good lord. There's so many games coming out. Um we we are on the eve of not just review season, fall season, whatever, but it's next also gen season. next gen mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um it's it's gonna be a time. I'm also not a huge fan of early access because you never get to the end of the story. It's always a certain amount of content. 
And it's always so different from the final release. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like Hades. Like I played Hades a little bit and then I put it aside and was like, well, I want to play this when it's out. Now it's out. Yeah. It's done. I can play it. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same with Baldur's Gate 3. Like I'll give it a shot. At least I'll try it out so I can play it on the pod and everything. But this is a game that I really want to play in full release. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Because I actually, you're right. I played Hades a little bit in the early release and I was like, okay, I'm going to. I don't feel like I'm getting the full experience when I play uh, an early access game. I feel like there's something in the back of my head saying you're not playing like a, a full game. You're missing something. So I just put it aside and wait. There are plenty of people who love to play it as it's being developed right. and have a direct dialogue with the developer and everything. So Which is great. Is that. that is great, but I'm not that person. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Hades, let's go talk about it. It's time for our main topic. Don't go away. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Hades, which is now out in full release. It is on the Nintendo Switch. It is out on PC. We really love it. It's certainly going to be high up on my game of the year list. I don't even like roguelites for the most part, but I am really enjoying this game. I know that you guys are. What is about this game that makes it so special, so magical? Eric, what do you think? Oh, do we have enough time? I could fill like, <laughs> solo on this one. Um, we could start a whole new podcast about the magic of Hades. Finally, it's what I've always wanted to do. Um, it's, I think the the important place to start with Hades is like early access helped it a lot. And I played some in early access. I think the most time I spent was probably around December of last year. I, I got pretty into the early access and then was like, you know, I hit that same point that y'all mentioned where I was like, okay. I want to see what this looks like when they feel it's complete. Because what I was playing then felt pretty complete to me, which is pretty amazing considered a lot of the early access games I've played in the past. But the other thing about Hades is that this is Supergiant's fourth game. And up until now, I feel like Supergiant has had a very solid track record. You know, Bastion mm -hmm. was an incredible game to lead off with. Then you had Transistor, which I love. I, I think Transistor could have been in contention with Bastion for my favorite Supergiant game. That's, I really like that game a lot. Um, Empire, I didn't connect with as much, but each one of them had their own kind of individual qualities that made them so good. And Hades feels like this culmination of that while also incorporating all these modern like roguelite sort of things and all of it melds in a way that like there's no friction you never feel the systems bumping up against one another you never feel like something is just kind of shoved in there for no good reason like this is it's just a good game <laughs> like it's it's so hard to even describe you know we'd so often be like oh it's like dark souls meets celeste or something you describe a game by <laughs> just grabbing two random games that kind of feel like it and mashing them together but hades just feels like it's its own thing and its own fresh invention that is built on all the stuff that supergiant has done up till now it is my favorite supergiant game by the way it, it does just feel great. like a supergiant game like it, they, mm -hmm. they really have their own flavor and hades really solidifies it because uh yeah, I'm not even the biggest roguelike fan or roguelite fan. You really have to give me a good balance to keep me 
entertain and keep me coming back. I really, really, really don't like extremely punishing roguelikes uh, where you lose everything if you die. That's just not my jam. But Hades does exactly what I love in that it gives you just enough reward for your failures that you're encouraged to keep on going. And not only that, when you fail, that's really how you learn more of the story and more about the characters because you're always sent back to Tartarus and there's always some snark to get from Hades himself. Uh, there's always Achilles to talk to. There's always, I love Hypnos, just uh, <laughs> he's always just completely blissed out. I can relate. And of course, you can always pet Cerberus. I always do pet Cerberus. It's the thing that I do. It's I, I really hope he's inspired by Clifford because he's a big red dog. <laughs> With three heads. The three heads. Yeah. He's very cute. The only good trend of 2020 is literally every single game allowing you to pet the animal. <laughs> yeah. Can you pet the dog? Can you pet the cat? Yeah. That's what it matters. I'm glad you you brought up Blizzard earlier because it's interesting. When I think of Supergiant, in a way, they're doing what Blizzard used to do, mm. which was take existing genres and give them kind of a fresh twist with really nice art and really accessible mechanics and gameplay and just a really strong sheen of polish. Blizzard doesn't do that so much anymore, but Supergiant did that with the kind of the isometric shoot 'em up and then the tactics genre. And then the sports genre, question mark? And then <laughs> and now kind of like yet. the Diablo-like, we've come full circle, right? Because this game feels to me like a slimmer, more enjoyable Diablo with also with de deck building elements and a much stronger narrative than Diablo. Some of the similarities are somewhat superficial, but there is a real dungeon crawling thread between the two. And I think that... Just when you pick up that game and it has that blizzard feeling, right, of I am immediately grokking this game. I understand what it is. I want to keep playing. It keeps you effortlessly going. And it doesn't seem like much, but the amount of effort that it gets put into the narrative and the music and the gameplay design and just how nice it feels to play, it all comes together to create something that I feel is really special. Yeah, I, I actually think Eric described it best when he said it's basically frictionless. It mm -hmm. it just melds extremely well. And it's it's very hard to do that with games. I can think of, you know, Kat, we were talking about Chrono Trigger and how that was the perfect RPG. And it feels almost like that in that you have this this game that just it works perfectly in all its parts as if it was just kind of made without effort. And of course, I'm sure a ton of effort went to the game, but it feels so it feels so smooth. Smooth, mm -hmm. but not offensive. I think so much of that, too, is like I, I was talking earlier this year about it. And like Katie wrote a very good piece about how there's so many roguelites that are just kind of redefining the genre and doing new things. And Hades is kind of leading the charge on that. But the thing that sets Hades apart for me is like you look at a game like Dead Cells, which Dead Cells is an incredible roguelite. Mm -hmm. But do I care about the world of Dead Cells or the characters of Dead Cells or what happens to Mr. Dead Cell after I leave the game? <laughs> Not really, but like... Miss, Mr. Dead Cell goes to watch TV, puts his feet up with his slippers on. Exactly. And it's like, and if you tried to put story in those games, like another one I played recently um, is is Star Renegades. And, and that one, it's like, it's a solid roguelite, but... I felt that the story 
like they were intentionally having to cut away and be like okay it's story time now and now it's combat Mm. time and now it's story time now it's combat time and it felt very disjointed but there is so much narrative in in hades that just feels like it's supposed to be there like it is this world that feels lived in things are happening in it even when zagreus is off running through elysium trying to escape and when he comes back you know things have changed the underworld contractors have finished the lounge that he paid them to build (laughs) that's great um it's it's all just it's a world that feels alive and it makes the roguelike part of it feel justified because it just all fits together so well like i it's so rare to find a roguelite that has a narrative justification for why it's mm-hmm. a roguelite, much less, you know, doing it well. That it reminds me of the only other games that really come to mind are like FTL and Into the Breach, which do the same thing where they have very good narrative reasons for why you're playing the way you're playing and doing the things that you're doing. But Hades just has this extra narrative flair on top of it. And it helps so much that it uses greek myth to do that because there's so much good stuff to be mined from greek myth and up until now all we've had is angry kratos man stab zeus in the eye <laughs> for greek myth in video games i'm <laughs> so glad we have Assassin's better Creed odyssey uh that i would hesitate to even call that greek myth because like they do have juno and some of the other gods in it but they're much more like oh turns out the gods were actually aliens slash precursors and like this is actual greek myth and it's very faithful greek myth too it is extremely faithful when i was a kid i studied a lot of greek myth so i i appreciate what they've done here the way that it renders the gods again to make the blizzard comparison so distinct so Mm. memorable Mm -hmm. When I look at characters like Artemis, they're just immediately appealing, right? Mm -hmm. And in that Overwatch tradition, every character is sexy. Everyone's hot. Yeah, they're all kind of hot. That's that's (laughs) one of the cores of Greek myth is that everyone is a beautiful disaster. Like everyone is beautiful and riddled with hubris. And they all are like incredible at one thing and then have incredibly petty shortcomings that keep them from doing great things petty the funniest thing is when you go to a room with two boons and you choose if you choose one boon you really offend the other god and they send their hordes after yes. you oh. and then they when you when you defeat them they apo- they kind of apologize but they're really huffy they just get very huffy at you sorry and for so, trying to kill you it's so it. perfect because i mean these this is a pantheon where if a mortal said anything anything to elevate themselves above the gods they would be in for a disastrous life like Apollo once flayed a, a satyr alive because he played the liar better than him. Mm-hmm. That's what gods do. Artemis turned <laughs> really, really dude awful. into a pig for uh, for peeking on her when she was taking a bath. Turned him into a pig and set her hounds on him. Like that's set her hounds on him. Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. And I feel like those characters are just here, and they're presented in ways that are like there's a dry wit to what like Hades is. You know, like Zag is he's got like the driest wit, and it's so good. He's great. Um, and then all the other characters can kind of throw banter around. Like the banter between Megara and Zagreus is like some of my favorite dialogue in games this year, just because they develop such a rivalry turns into friendship, like enemies into lovers sort of situation between the two of them after like dozens and dozens and dozens of battles. 
and it's oh, it's just all so well constructed and so good. It's very. And I love very how when you beat Meg, because uh, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but when you beat Meg, she, you'll find her next time in the lounge sulking. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, I and, love that. And you can like kind of rub it in, or you know, you can be cool about it. I gave her a gift. I, I was like, sorry, you know, because I'm at the point where Zag is just like, sorry, Meg, it's just business, and you know, I just want you to have this gift, and mm-hmm. she's like, fine. Take it. It's like that uh that Looney Tunes cartoon where it's the the dog and the wolf or whatever they're checking in and out like more and Sam, more and Ralph, like that sort of thing. More and Sam, more and Ralph, yeah, the sheepdog and uh the coyote. Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't normally like pieces of media where like two uh a boy and a girl meet and then there's instant sexual chemistry and now all of a sudden they're in love and all of that kind of stuff. But I think Hades really carries it off. Mm-hmm. You can really feel the the chemistry between the two, and that's really a tribute to the writing. And the fact that most of it takes place in extremely brief snippets of dialogue mm-hmm. when, for example, you encounter her and they have their little bit of banter and then you go you go in and start fighting. And also the banter never repeats itself ever. Yes, that is so crazy. I have died countless times, and every single time, like there's something different. Nobody repeats anything except Cerberus says wolf, but that doesn't count. The the one that I know for <laughs> sure is I read somewhere that Hypno has a different line for being killed by every single enemy in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I always talk to him because he gives you advice sometimes or he just gives you like, you know, a little bit of ribbing about it. But I, I just love the fact that this is a game where I look forward to talking to people even after because it really takes a sting out of failing and you really mm-hmm. do feel charged to, to, to try again. It's not just, oh, I made it to this character and they killed me this time and the game has a little trigger that acknowledges that. It's that it also acknowledges specific circumstances where Mm -hmm. a character will be like, will grump that you've been cheating because you've been using the mirror. But if you (laughs) remove all of your upgrades from the mirror, they will also acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I, I, I don't even want to know how many pages of dialogue are in this game. I think um, with the most, the update that happened before the 1.0, so the first, the last major update before the 1.0 launch, they said that that single update had more lines of text in it than all of Bastion did. Wow. And that single update, so everything preceding it was already there, and then a single story update that had more lines of text than all of Bastion. Like, this is... This is super giant. Like I talked earlier about Vanillaware just flexing on the things that they can do. Like this is super giant flexing and then some on everything that they, they do well. And that includes like look and music and aesthetic and also like combat. The combat's so good. Oh, the, I love combat the combat feels so good. And I love that there is a I love that there is a variety of weapons and yet you never feel like you're using the wrong one. There's you always feel like you always feel justified to experiment because you know how it is with games like that. Often there's a, oh, you have to use this build or else you won't get anywhere. You have to use that build or else you'll die really quickly. People have, I've seen people sharing their builds like when they finish the game and there's so much variety for the boons and the weapons. And I think that's really excellent. Even weapons that I wouldn't normally be, that I would always be a little leery about would be like, oh, I I guess I'll try the shield. I wouldn't normally try it. Oh, Oh, the shield feels really good. It does. Oh, the gauntlets. I don't know about the gauntlets. Oh, the gauntlets feel real good. One of the first things I got was the, I picked the gauntlets and one of the first upgrades I got was the jump kick. 
which <laughs> carried me much further across the screen and was allowing me to just do karate kicks on all of the different enemies. I was like, I like this. This is, this is good upgrade. Here we go. I only just learned that you can upgrade your, your weapons. I haven't done that yet. So I wonder I'm dying all the time. Oh, with the aspects and that kind of thing? Is that like the Titan's blood? Yes. yes. Yeah, see, I haven't unlocked that yet. So I guess I got to finish more levels with more weapons to get more blood. Yeah, that's where a lot of the death is found because of the different types of weapons mm -hmm. once you unlock them all. And there are like eight of them. So you can yeah. have a real good variety of experience. So you're not just always doing the same thing every single time. It'd be like, uh, it's a little bit like Mr. Burns going, uh, I believe the rail today. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the fangs today. <laughs> and, like even within a run, you have like the Daedalus hammers and individual boons that can all just drastically change the way you do things. And like that was one of the things early on when I started the game, I was like, oh, this cast sucks. Why would I ever use that? It's like one projectile that shoots a crystal that does damage and I got to pick it back up so I can shoot it again. That yeah. sucks. Why would I ever use it? And now like, the runs I'm doing at the moment, you get these things that turn your cast into a turret that shoots lasers or into a literal like party bomb that you throw down if you get the Dionysus yeah, upgrade. That was great. Um, it's a great fantastic. one because it freezes enemies or slows them down. It's so makes they get hangovers. When you get it to Elysium, that is so useful against those horrible spear guys. Yes. And God, I hate the archers in Elysium. I every time I see the archers, I'm like, these dudes die first. I cannot. You really need them. to use the environment. <laughs> It's tempting to just dash around and mm -hmm. whack at people, but if you hide behind pillars and use the the environment to your advantage and keep kiting them, you can get pretty far. I just want to kill things. That's why I'm playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I admit I'm, I'm not as strategic as I should be, but I do like that. Yes, the environment does work to your will. You can shove enemies into lava. You can shove them onto spikes. You can use, like, if you hit a pillar, I think falling rocks get them. Hmm. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. I'm just bad at doing that. I, I have to say, though, I have actually struggled the most with the second biome, the, the lava one. Oh, it's That's because, a hard one. Yeah, yeah. Asphodel, yeah. Because I want to dash around, and I always seem to end up in the lava suddenly losing like 5, 10 hit points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's it, that is kind of hard to tell like what you're doing. I, I have learned that you have like a couple of seconds of grace if you, land up, if you end up in the lava, but you got to be fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can also... One of my favorite runs I got was I had the shield and I had an Athena boon, I think it was, that makes you take 90% less damage from traps. And I think yeah. it worked on the lava. So I was suddenly like, ha ha, I can walk on the lava now. And I would like bull rush <laughs> people into the lava and walk back out like a jerk. Um, that was a, God, this game. <laughs> this game is it's the worst when you accidentally get caught by the spikes. Yes. Like, damn it. Yeah. Because it's the easiest and one the to dodge. Goes red. And you're just like, I did that to myself. That was 100% my fault. And this game keeps su surprising you, right? Like, I don't want to spoil it, but you'll be on a run and you'll be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to be a, oh, this is different. Yes, what is going on? Help. <laughs> I mean, you asked earlier, like, how far have we gotten? And like, I have not beaten the game yet, but I've made it to the second phase of the final boss which was oh. maddening because I was like this close to beating it. And I was, oh, uh, I am going to beat it this weekend. I've like set out. I am yeah. hunkering down. I'm going to beat the game this weekend. But I I've also heard that like there is an ending and then there's an additional ending beyond that that you have to do extra things to achieve. And like there's just a lot of 
story and ways that this game can evolve. I know that there are harder versions of every boss fight that you can encounter that from the sounds of it incredibly ramp up the challenge of those fights and it's it is a surprisingly like even this is supposed to be the 1.0 but it feels more robust than most roguelites do by the time they reach their 1.0 yeah i agree i do wonder what kind of additional content we'll be getting that's the beauty of this game honestly I, we were talking earlier about the roguelites that uh, keep ramping up the genre, but don't always do a great job of telling a story. This is one of the first roguelites I've played where the it doesn't feel like just a straightforward get to the end kind of challenge, like Into the Breach or FTL. It's a game that on the one hand is almost like a traditional RPG where you've got a story and then every time you make a little bit more progress, more is revealed to you and you keep getting more powerful and that kind of thing. But also, if you really enjoy the roguelite traditional, just let's make my character as OP as possible and try to style and get to the end and show off, that is also a thing in Hades. And they balance those two aspects so well where it feels more accessible than almost any other roguelite I've played. It feels like a game that I can recommend to pretty much anybody. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very easy to recommend game because, again, I'm not a huge fan of roguelites, roguelites but mm-hmm. um, I adapted to it like instantly and I felt like, oh, okay, this is exactly what I want out of this genre. Yeah, it's, it's an instant game of the year contender for me. Um, mm-hmm. It is easily Easy. one of the most compelling things i've played this year and it's something that i just feel is going to stick with me a lot longer than most other games do and it is like like i said earlier i think it's super giant's best i think this is them at their i think peak so right now yeah yeah i think bastion was my favorite but this has definitely elevated that several times over mm-hmm. yeah you know there are so many game roguelites that when i finish it i'll be like well i'm done with this forever and I don't know, I might keep coming back to Hades. I mean, if we want to go back to the Dia- the the Blizzard comparison, the Diablo comparison, the beauty of that game was always you finish the story, but then you want to keep getting more powerful and you want to keep going on better runs. And you're trying to, in some ways, get the high score, as it were, by going into uh, the rifts and all of that. And it feels a little bit like Hades. That's the way with Hades where, yeah, you'll finish the game, but you can finish it in a better way, in a more efficient mm-hmm. way. And mm-hmm. there's there's so much to unlock and discover. And what about these chaos rifts? And what's going on with that character? And wait a minute, I can have romances with these characters? It's, <laughs> it feels like so much more than your standard roguelite. And that is why, like, uh, unlike, you know, a game like Into the Breach, which ultimately I really enjoyed, but then I, I finished it and I was out, uh, Hades just feels like a game that... There's so much to dig into. It's it's wonderful. It feels like a full-blooded RPG in that way. Final thoughts? Uh, do you want to sum it all up? I feel like it takes the core of the roguelike genre, brings it all together. Incredible music, incredible narration, a lot of depth. It's really fun to play with all of the weapons. It feels like Blizzard at its best. It feels like Supergiant going up another level in a lot of respects. Uh, I fully recommend this game. Even if you're not into roguelites, it feels like a classic dungeon crawler honed to a fine point. 
the fine mm-hmm. point of a spear that you can throw and then recall to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, I largely agree with all of everything that you said. Plus, you can romance very hot gods unless yes. they're committed. Like, I really, really want to romance Achilles, but he's got his lover. Mm-hmm. He's so hot, though. He's so sad. <laughs> I want to hug him. Yeah, um, agreed with all that. I think this is a high watermark for the genre that is going to be hard to ever top. Um, yes. It, it hangs in there with, like, even compared to games that I love in the roguelite genre, I played so many of them, and I love, like, Slay the Spire and Into the Breach. Mm-hmm. But Slay the Spire is really fun. Yeah, I, I do like those. Those, those are all interesting within their own genres, but Hades just feels like it is a fascinating video game in its own right. And it's one that is, like you said earlier, this is something I'd recommend anyone play. Like literally, if you own a Nintendo Switch, you need to own this video game. It is worth your time, it is worth your money. So I'm going to buy it again when Cross Save becomes available. Oh, I already bought it again. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to wait for Cross Save. And then I did like, 12 runs on the switch anyway. <laughs> you don't need it no more i want to see what happens when you beat it without getting any upgrades so it's like a no death run oh yeah i wonder there's probably someone who has already done like a no mirror no boons well i think you have to take boons i think you have to get boons because the doors won't open otherwise right but somebody has probably done a no mirror run i know that there are already speedrunners of hades that have oh there have game to down be to a, yeah no they've they're good. I've watched them play. They're quite good. <laughs> I can't wait to see them at. Uh, have they been at Games Done Quick yet? I don't think so, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them pop up soon. What with all the hype and such, and I think it's also like one one thing I wanted to mention during the combat is that Hades is a game where I feel like no matter how many good or bad boons you have, no matter like what you are using. It is something that you always feel like you are mechanically able to overcome if you are mm-hmm. just like good enough at the basics of this game. And so I think a speed run of it is very interesting in that respect that everything you're seeing looks impressive and still feels doable. And that just speaks to how good the combat and, and the motion and the fluidity of this game is. Maybe what sets it apart from an RPG and can be an argument against it being an RPG is that so much of it is skill-based in the way that you have to memorize individual enemy uh, attack patterns and that kind of thing. And if you're able to do that really well, you can pretty much overcome any disadvantage from having bad boons or having a weapon that you're not really comfortable with and that kind of thing. Um, And that's not a bad thing. I really enjoy... Actually, I kind of prefer in some ways the skill-based element because it's not just a... Well, let's watch a thousand enemies pop like confetti because I have the ultimate <laughs> build of doom, right? Like there is a, it's a really exhilarating feeling to have a particularly good build and to be just clearing out rooms like, you know, crazy as you're dodging around all of these different attacks that you've come to know so well. Ugh, what a wonderful game. The best runs feel fantastic, but also like the worst runs still feel very good. What do you think of Hades? Have you tried it yet? Who's your favorite god? What's your favorite weapon? We want to know. If you want to contribute, leave me a note at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or send me a DM on Twitter. My DMs are open or leave a comment on the show notes. Okay, let's continue on to the track of the week. All right, folks, continuing on with the Hades tip, we are going to be taking a track of the week from Hades 
I mean, Supergiant always has amazing games and Hades is absolutely no different. Let's have a listen. Yes, that song is Lament of Orpheus, and it is sung by the composer, Darren Korb, who is also the voice of Orpheus. Orpheus, of course, is a musician that you unlock a bit of the ways into the game. This music, guys, is a bit different from your typical Hades song. A lot of the regular Hades soundtrack, I would say, is metal a good way to describe it? Or yeah, kind of hard. Yeah. Kind of rocky. Kind of hard guitar, hard rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're in hell. I mean, what, you, you got to do it's not. <laughs> it's not full doom, but it's like 60% doom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I want to play it with like the first stage of doom, like the music for that oh, going. Rip and tear playing while you're going to yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this song's different. I really like the kind of haunting, sad quality of the lyrics. Uh, it's It really speaks. It, it gives the game a different vibe and how it takes on an emotional tinge. The uh, the actual lyrics are, hero gods, my desperate plea to see my love beside me, sunk below the mortal sea, her anchor weighs upon me, fasten her tether onto me, that she may rise to sail free, don't look back. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, That's Orpheus really made a mistake by mm-hmm. looking back. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an actual, like, again, we were talking about how faithful this is to Greek myth. And this song is actually... Orpheus singing about how he was leading Eurydice out of Hades and at the final moment looked back to make sure she was still behind him and because of that he like invalidated his deal with Hades and she was taken back to the underworld and so they were separated and then once he dies he's able to return to the underworld and see her again which we actually you know we get to meet these characters in the game which is really cool and like getting to experience all of that and all of those emotions within the game and through these characters is is another thing that makes Hades so incredible. Orpheus, interesting character design. Um, almost makes me think of David Bowie, question mark? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to go to hell with David Bowie? <laughs> uh, Darren Korb has been with Supergiant since the beginning. Uh, Darren joined Supergiant because his childhood friend Amir Rao was a co-founder. Just got to say, get yourself a childhood friend who starts a prestige studio in video games. Yeah, just latch onto them. You'll be fine. Also being an astoundingly talented composer, uh, Darren Korb is one of the absolute best in the business. Touch Arcade said of Transistor, Darren Korb's music is astounding, rich, and evocative as it echoes across the game and complements the bright 
yet mysterious world of Transistor. Also, he's from San Jose, so he's local to me. So, Oh, is he now? Oh, there yeah. you go. You there should you knock go. on his door and ask him to sing you a song. Seriously. <laughs> um. But uh, he actually, he and, um, sorry, I'm blanking on the name of the female Ashley uh, vocalist. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they did a fantastic ending song for Bastion, uh, mm-hmm. Setting Sail, Coming Home. And to, to this day, it's one of my favorite video game songs ever. Uh, so every vocal piece that you get in a super giant game, for the most part, is just fantastic, like next level. Yeah, it's like going back through Bastion and Transistor and Pyre and seeing those musical styles progress is incredible because Bastion was very folky and very, um, you know, had a lot of those songs like, um coming home and and build a wall is is one of my favorite ones from that one build a wall is fantastic so good and you can hear like traces of that here but also just him experimenting with even more musical styles and like you know telling fiction through song is something that i guess you don't really encounter much in games because very few Mm -hmm. games try to do it but it's it's so well done here. And I feel like that's a hallmark of Supergiant as much as anything else they do. And and again, it's just another plus point for Hades in a litany of plus points. It's like uh, that scene from uh, A Christmas Story with the teacher. A plus, yes, plus, Going around plus, the room just marking <laughs> pluses around around the chalkboard. You get an there A you go. and you get an A. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our track of the week. If you enjoy the track of the week and you want to contribute... Send me a song, and we may choose your song and read about it and read your comments on the show. Okay, let's continue on to the mailbag and wrap this up. Last week, we talked about... What did we talk about? There was so much RPG news. There was so much about. going on. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. We talked about Final Fantasy sixteen and yep. the Bethesda Takeover. Yeah, so much to Most discuss. Us. And Harry Potter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> God uh, of Fire. Keru Seta says, I feel like the worst that will come from the acquisition is that some big games will be timed Microsoft exclusives. I cannot imagine that any of the big stuff like Elder Scrolls or Fallout or Doom will be kept away from other consoles. Unlike Sony, Microsoft has a recent history of trying to put their stuff everywhere. As a primarily Nintendo and PC gamer, I don't foresee this really being a problem for me. That said, corporate consolidation in general is bad, and I wish that this was regulated like at all right now. (laughs) Completely agree. Yeah, just that word. I wish this was regulated at all. It says it all to me. What's regulation? Do you well, think they're E3? It's, a, it's like, an R word. When we have E3 again, are there stage shows going to have to merge? Like, do they have to start putting mm. those together now? We get the Bethesda No, the Bethesda opening. will get a Bethesda corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the concept of the Bethesda press conference is not going to be a thing anymore. It wasn't much of a press conference to start with. <laughs> it's just going to be, be E3 honest. presented by Microsoft. It really is. I was thinking yeah. we're just going to go to the theater now down the street and just kind of sit there for six hours while they roll everything out because they own everything now. How long before Nintendo bows out and then it literally is just here's the Xbox booth, like the main Xbox booth, and then all of the other booths are just the various studios that Xbox holds. I'm just thinking of that scene from The Simpsons where Homer's covered in gold and laughing. I want Nintendo to stick around because their booth was was more of it, it was the nicer booth to go to because they had nice little like areas. That's where right. You could they, do they had the Animal Crossing, that. right? Yeah, they they always have fun with their booths too. Like they put up really cool decorations and all that, and everybody else kind of goes towards that like 
tech conference we're handing out freebies light shows sort mm-hmm. of situation and nintendo's like what if we made a giant booth that looked like breath of the wild like that would be cool wouldn't it yeah um so i hope they stick around if only for that uh but i don't know in terms of sony and microsoft and exclusives like first of all microsoft is going to be accidentally publishing to console timed exclusives for sony now because of this deal (laughs) i agree that i don't see this being something that turns into an actual like microsoft exclusive coup on anything this is about game pass they get to say that well if you have game pass you get to play starfield day one and you get to play elder scrolls day one and you get to play you know death loop when it eventually comes to xbox um that's a big get for them i mean it's not coming to Xbox right away, but Deathloop is coming to PS5 and PC, so they could feasibly try and get that game onto PC for Game Pass now. And suddenly, Sony's PS5 timed console exclusive is competing with PC Game Pass. So it's that's what this deal is about to me. And that's mm-hmm. where I think Microsoft is angling with all this. All right, and the last one. This one is from Vo the Raven. I am not so sure about the combat of Final Fantasy 16 being as action-based as the trailer suggests. We could have another case of Final Fantasy VII Remake here, looking like an action game based on early trailers, but turning out to be more of a hybrid in the end. That being said, I look forward to hearing what name they will come up with this time after the fantastically named Active X Battle and Command Synergy Battle systems of Final (laughs) Fantasy XV and XIII. Yeah, they kind of one-up themselves there. I really hope that the battle system is a lot deeper than it kind of looks in the trailer they're probably right though i'm sure that there's going to be a fair amount behind it especially if the final fantasy 14 team is uh right there and you know they don't seem to be totally averse to systems and whatnot no i'm thinking about my rotation on my dragoon right this second (laughs) (laughs) it's all it's all about getting that dps baby but yes they're absolutely right in that we judged final fantasy 7 remake systems right away saying oh this is some action-based garbage and then it turned out to be very different from what we expected so don't judge a book by its cover uh final fantasy 13 had a good battle system that's all i gotta say all right that's our mailbag thanks everybody for contributing and that is the end of our show if you enjoyed the show can i recommend that you leave us a review you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore Kappa, Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and Eric is at CMoosey. We have a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. Go listen to Normandy FM. Oh, yeah. Eric, Normandy FM. Tell me about that. It is a Bioware retrospective podcast hosted by myself and Kenneth Shepard over at Fanbyte. Uh, we cover, I think we're on Dragon Age Inquisition right now. Why do I say I think we're currently in Dragon Age Inquisition? I should remember that. Um, <laughs> we uh, have gone through the entire Mass Effect trilogy. We're working our way through Dragon Age. We've got Jade Empire on the horizon. If you like Bioware, if you like thoughtful discussion and critique, of various characters and narrative and story in those games if you've always wanted an in-depth exploration of how bioware writes the canary and how maybe they don't write the canary too well um we got that (laughs) so normandy (laughs) fm on twitter that's at normandy fm show so it's it's a good time yeah i think actually the blood god listeners would really like normandy fm a lot of people accuse us of being the jrpg podcast and so to some extent that is the case we tend to guilty as charged we tend to default toward jrpgs a fair amount but maybe this is a good companion podcast for you to listen i agree yes i agree that i am very biased towards japanese rpgs but 
Eric makes up for my shortcomings. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I literally fill in all the the niches that y'all don't cover, which includes Bioware and uh, Tales games, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that's a big blind spot. We'll have to do our Tales retrospective at some point. Oh, we really do. Oh, yeah, no. I've I've been sad that there is no new Tales game this year, and, and it's just been terrible for me. Tales of Arise. I'm sorry. Coming up. <sighs> Looking really good. Fingers crossed. (laughs) All right. That's the end of our show. We'll be back next Monday as always. And for Eric, Nadia, and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring.